It's time for Real Talk with Brian and Dan, the weekly talk radio show dedicated to discussing important real estate topics, plus insight into the local community. With a combined experience of over 50 years as local real estate brokers from the Eastside Real Estate Team at Keller Williams Realty Bellevue. Here's your hosts, Brian Levitt and Dan Edwards. All right. Happy first week of summer, Brian. Yeah, just waiting for summer to show up. Yeah, right. I know, I know. Well, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to Real Talk with Brian and Dan on 1150 KKNW. It is Wednesday, June 26th, a very special day in my life. I married the love of my life about 19 years ago today. Nice. Woo woo. Okay, so back to the show. If you'd like to listen to this podcast anytime outside this time, feel free to download them anywhere podcasts are found. Another great show. I'm excited, Brian, to talk to our two guests. Mm-hmm. Doug Schwed, attorney with Access Law Group, and then we have Danny Leggett and Amanda Peterson with WFG Title and Escrow. So it should be fun, but of course, before we get to those guests, it's time for some real talk. All righty. So, Dan, we're going to talk about dream homes. Yeah. Hey, Gen X, it's time to buy your dream home. Yes, it is. Dan, what do you know about that uh, during the housing market crash? I know Gen Xers, uh, homeowners, lost more wealth than other generations. However, things are changing now. Strong economy, increasing home prices, and the recovery of the housing market are helping this generation to regain their lost wealth. What have you seen? Well, according to uh, Pew Research Center, I like to say that, their fortunes have actually rebounded more than those of other generations during a post-recession economic expansion. And the home and stock prices have risen. In 2010, excuse me, since 2010, the median net worth of Gen X households has risen 115%. In fact, in 2016, the most recent year with available data, the net worth of a typical Gen X household has surpassed what it was in 2007. So it was uh, 63,000. It's up to 84,000. Pretty crazy. Yeah. That's great. So according to the 2019 Home Buyers and Sellers Generational Trends Report by the National Association of Realtors, in 2018, Gen Xers made the biggest, uh, excuse me, the largest share of home uh, buyers market at 24%. Wow. Greatest share that purchased a multi-generational home at 16%. The largest share that purchased a detached single-family home, 88%. The highest median household income, 111,100, and bought the most expensive homes of all generations. Job-related relocation was identified as the primary reason to buy. So I don't know if you know this, Brian, but I'm a Gen Xer. Oh, you're kidding! No, no kidding. <laughs> now I didn't buy well, a home. Go in Gen Xers, yeah. Man, but those numbers, yeah. When you do look at that, it's like holy cow. I mean, 88% bought a single-family detached home, and that high, highest median house, the median household income. Now that's across the United States, right? Well, I mean, since we invented the internet, I mean, it's. I always tell my kids, you're welcome. You know, you're welcome for inventing the internet. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was people way before us, but we. I just like to claim it like so. Airport one is. of my friends posted, you know, what did people do before the internet? <laughs> like, what did our parents do? And the friend said, I don't know. I'll ask my twenty-three siblings. <laughs> <laughs> so that's anyway. awesome. So curious, uh, what trends are you seeing in, with the? Uh, Gen Xers you're working with? Well, it's not just buying, right? They're also selling. So, um, you know, the whole intro to this conversation was check out the largest generation in wealth growth. Well, they're selling their homes. 25% of them sold. Uh Uh, The the highest median household income uh, was 123,000. 
Uh, the tenure, that that's interesting, is how long they stayed in their previous home is nine yeah. years. Yeah. And I believe before that, the previous generations was seven. Yeah, it's less. Yeah. yeah. So how long, you've been in your home a while, how long for you? 17 years. There you go. See, that's that crazy. those numbers, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm definitely not average. Yeah. <laughs> Below no. average, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Slightly above average. <laughs> Slightly above average. Um, so one thing that's interesting is the reason that many uh, Gen Xs are now choosing to sell and uh, the number one reason, primary reason to sell was the house was too small. Hmm. Oh, it's funny. Uh, you know, if you look at that typical cycle of, you know, between four and seven years that existed before yeah. that that bust. Well, if you go 2006, what's, you know, that's 12 years, right? And we were right at the very bottom of kind of the recession was 2012. That's when it bounced back up. Right. Started coming back around. So then you add another six years to that. That's where you get like that longer uh, uh, median time in that previous property. Um, here's the one uh, key statistic that's interesting is 91% of Gen Xers uh, selling a home used a real estate professional. Hmm. You know, interesting, um, something that's been a real uh, change for me in helping find the dream home is how uh, Gen Xers are looking for a home. Of course, the internet's a big one, but it used to be most of the time people would say, well, we want to be in this neighborhood, this location, uh-huh. and now what I'm seeing is we want to be 25 minutes from work, 45 minutes from work, and we're using the internet to choose areas based on drive times. So we have yeah. tools to do that. I don't know if you've used Inrex, the yep. tool we have. Yep. Love it. But I had a, a family recently, Gen X, that uh, they wanted to be 45 minutes from work during the maximum commute time, not taking into account you know, events like if there's an accident or something, but normal commute time, bought a house uh, in Federal Way. To commute to Seattle, less than forty-five. Yeah, they they understood that basically they could they could find what they were looking for by using a tool that technology, right? Right. That could help them find what's important to them, and that's one of the things about Gen X is family for them is pretty solid, pretty important, mm-hmm. and uh, being able to have that valuable time spent and right. minimize the time in the car. Of course, I think it's a given that you're going to have to commute, mm-hmm. um, and unless your budget is unlimited, you still have right. to kind of. And they were willing to go, you know, a longer commute time to get more house, and they got a lot more house. Right. Just really, you know, dream home. You know, it's a dream home. And what's interesting about that, um, using a a piece of software to predict it, is it's not not what you think. Like, uh, it's not a circle, right? You don't draw a circle. It's a polygon. You have these spots that have longer angles that you have to get to. And some, like, for example, if you were to go east, right, uh, from Bellevue, you would think that it'd be, you know, a, a shorter commute time to get to parts of Sammamish, but actually you could go to Snoqualmie quicker than right. you can get to parts of Sammamish because of the the uh, traffic on the arterial routes right. off the freeway. Yep. So um, along the lines of dream homes, one of the things that I've seen lately is um, some some folks are, are willing to stay in their house uh, longer but buy a second home instead. Right. Destination purchases, mm-hmm. right? So Lake Chelan, that's an mm-hmm. example. Um, Cleellum is another example. Um, finding something over in, the, you know, the, in Moses Lake or even a little more exotic, say Hawaii. I talked to uh, yeah. some folks who were like saying, hey, we'd love to have a place that we could stay there, but use either Airbnb or Home mm-hmm. Away to monetize that property. Um, wh- what if, who have you helped out in that regard? You know, I've had several clients buying a second home. Um, and also sometimes helping a family member. This is typically not a Gen X move, but <laughs> helping a family member buy, so acquiring that way. And one of the things I think about is the resources that we have in helping connect these buyers with really excellent um, brokers. One of the things yeah. that we can do with our Keller Williams system is vet a broker who really is like-minded, who's diligent, who will do a great job 
and buyer representation. Yeah, one of the first pieces of technology that, that Keller Williams got busy on about two years ago was their referral system. Right. And essentially what it is is it's, I mean, Keller Williams is one of the only nationwide, worldwide actually, organizations mm-hmm. that tracks every bit of business right down to every new agent that comes in the door. So there are other companies that, you know, they'll track their local business or their franchise of a bigger brand name. Um, But Keller Williams, if you work for a Keller Williams office, that office every first of the month has to send their numbers to the mothership, that data. That's part of the franchise agreement. So because of that, um, I can look at, say, uh, Kissimmee, Florida. Right. right? I had a friend who his mother was getting ready to sell. And I I went out um, on this app. And I actually was able to narrow down the exact neighborhood and then mm-hmm. find agents with production in that neighborhood. Right. And then I could call them and say, hey, tell me about how you do business. Because exactly. what I found, yeah, it, I want to know it's, it's, it's cutting, uh, it's, it's creating a warm introduction to somebody who is an expert in that area rather than right. just picking somebody that shows up on Google. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, it's been fantastic. Uh, we've been able to hand a lot of business, a lot of our trusted clients, not only there, but also help somebody like say buy in another marketplace with in-depth knowledge without them having to just guess who they're working with. Right, and a, and a work style, someone that's not going to pressure, who's going to really educate, inform, and guide. And it's also, for us, nice to be on the receiving end of that as well. So yeah. we really love those referrals when we get them. And honestly, I predict that I'll I'll probably get, get my license in multiple states and be able to kind of serve clients with our experience at a higher level because mm-hmm. that way it you stay in our ecosystem, you get the same quality that you would get here on the east side um, in, say, Phoenix, Arizona, in uh, Sacramento, California, wherever nice. wherever we could actually um, yeah. have boots on the ground. All right. Good talk. Sounds good. All right. So coming up next, we've got two fantastic uh, guests from WFG Title and Escrow. So come on back after the break. We're going to talk about Title and Escrow. We'll be right back. Did you know when you pay rent, you're actually paying someone else's mortgage? Are you tired of missing out on owning your own home? Fact homeowners on average have 40 times the financial net worth of renters. The Eastside Real Estate Team has been helping many first-time homebuyers find and buy their first home. They specialize in customer service and put you first. They listen first to what you're looking for and then they take the time to make sure their clients understand every aspect of the home buying process. If owning a home has been your dream, the Eastside Real Estate Team can help you. For a free, no-hassle consultation, call 425 425- 200-4093 or find them online at the eastsiderealestateteam.com a subsidiary of Keller Williams Realty in Bellevue find out the latest about your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150 check out 1150kknw.com Welcome back. You're listening to Real Talk with Brian and Dan on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm Brian. And I'm Dan. Our first guest is Amanda Peterson, Business Development Manager with WFG National Title, and Danny Leggett, who is a escrow closer with WFG Escrow. 
Over the last six years, Amanda has been a top business development manager at WFG. Amanda is a native of the Pacific Northwest. She loves interior design, entertaining, and a good suspense novel. On weekends, you can find Amanda out in the garden getting her hands dirty. Also joining us from WFG is Danny Leggett. And Danny, uh, she comes with over a decade of escrow experiences. Her career with WFG began as a front office coordinator in our Puyallup branch. Since then, Danny has been very effective in working her way up the ladder, actively working as a successful escrow closer slash LPO. The passion Danny exudes in creating a more memorable experience for her customers and clients perfectly align with her lifelong career goals and dedication here at WFG Title. Danny takes a great pride in being accessible and available to her clients, whether it be via text message or late night question by email. Her professional diligence and delivery allow her to organically establish long-lasting relationships and steal value within her clients, form friendships, and turn and in turn, they become a valuable piece of the WFG family. So Amanda, Danny, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Happy hey, to be here. Welcome. Hey, uh, tell us a little bit about yourselves, Danny, Amanda, hobbies, interests. What do you always like to do when you're not doing title and escrow? When are we not doing title and escrow? Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. I'm kidding. Um, I like to spend time with my family. I've got a little boy that's four and a half years old, so he definitely keeps me busy and on my toes. Uh, we actually just got back from a camping trip over to Chelan. Nice. So being outdoors is, yeah, something we like to do with him. Yeah, I would I would assume that he he probably likes running around and, and uh, getting uh, his hands dirty, like his mom. Very right? much so, <laughs> yeah. Constantly dirty, yes. I Danny, mean, they, you would be surprised how many rocks I found in his pocket. Nice, nice. Yeah. What else are you going to do with the rocks? Throw them or put them in your pocket? Yeah, right. Uh, Danny, how about you? I know you're working all the time, so with your few moments of leisure time, what do you like to do? Yes, I do work a lot, um, but I do love my job, so that helps. Um, cool. But I really enjoy the outdoors, and I have a little bit of an obsession with plants, indoor and outdoor. Hmm. So I have I have about 50 house plants that I take care of, and they're my babies. Nice. And I also have a, a new kitten named Jacques, um, who I like to spend time with on the couch when I'm uh, home from work and drinking a glass of wine. Uh, where did you get the name Jacques? My sister actually fosters cats. Uh, she lives in Spokane for a local shelter there. And they named all of the, there was a litter of about five kittens a few months back. And they named them all from uh, Lady and the Tramp characters. Oh, right. So, and she talked me into adopting him and now he's my baby. Nice. That's nice, great. nice. Yeah. Well, since this is a show about real estate, Amanda, I'm going to throw this question to actually both of you get to answer this question is, what is one of your fondest memories of uh, the home that you grew up in? Oh, that's a good one. Hmm. I know what mine is. I think, I think it um, actually is when it was one of, back in the day, one of the unique winters where we actually got quite a bit of snow mm -hmm. and having my mom home because we were snowed in, having the wood burning fireplace mm. going and, Going outside sledding, we had a big hill right by our house, and coming inside and just getting warm and, and doing puzzles with my my family. I think that would probably be mine. Puzzles. That sounds like fun. Hmm. Yeah. Definitely, definitely snowy day. And Danny, how about you? Hi there. Um, so I really 
there's a Lake Sawyer grocery store. I grew up in Covington, mm-hmm. and I, uh, in the summers, we would ride our bikes to the little store, as we named it, and get about $10 worth of candy. Candy. Oh, my <laughs> and, gosh. Yeah. And then oh. go back to my uh, parents' backyard and sit on our trampoline and eat all the candy. Yeah. So, candy. yeah, that's, my, oh, our parents have a really, funny. really nice big backyard, so... And they keep it really beautiful with flowers and everything. That's probably my favorite memory. That's awesome. That's great. Amanda, tell our listeners, what is title insurance? Well, the easiest way to explain title insurance is really it's a way to protect buyers and lenders, for that matter, against any defects um, that could appear on title when transferring property from one individual to another. Um, I think people typically think of insurance and they think about health insurance, um, which title insurance is a bit different because instead of insuring something that could happen in the future, we're actually insuring anything that may have happened in the past. Hmm. So there's two typical types of uh, title insurance. Usually there's the um, lender's policy, so when you're going to be getting a mortgage on on a property, and, and also the homeowner's policy. So with either one of those, we typically do three separate searches. Um, we will do a chain of title search. So we'll, we'll search the history of the ownership of the subject property. Uh, we'll also search tax records to make sure that they, um, uh, property taxes and whatnot and assessments are um, up to date and current. And then we'll actually also search uh, the names of the individuals because we want to make sure that there's no liens or judgments against the owners um, or the potential owners. Wow, that's a whole lot of stuff, isn't it? It is. It is. Yeah, it's very exciting, let me tell you. Well, I mean, it's funny. We've got in here an attorney who has some history uh, searching title and stuff like that. And I also had a a good friend of mine who, uh, down in Houston, uh, he's an attorney and he worked for the oil companies. And it's funny, I guess, west of the Mississippi title is done one way east of the Mississippi mm-hmm. it's done another way so it's kind of like this kind of we like in in our in my in our business Brian and I's business when we're working with sellers it's like well what is this insurance for what does it do and I think you explained it really well um, so uh, it, it but it is one of those things that um, it rarely comes up but when it does man it could mm-hmm. be costly so if you don't yep. have uh, protection you're you're up a creek um, That's very, very true. So, Danny, let's talk about escrow. What is it and when is it used? So, Washington is an escrow state, um, which means you can close a real estate transaction, either a resale or a refinance, um, with an escrow company or an attorney. Um, escrow is the neutral third party that facilitates the transaction, uh, most specifically the dollars. So, we handle all of the money from buyer and or lender and then disperse funds on the seller side um, for payoff, proceeds, et cetera. And we work together with title to clear any um, possible title issues or liens, judgments, et cetera. Awesome. Hmm. So um, other states are not escrow states, which means what? That the, the attorneys are closing uh, real estate transactions. Only attorneys. Um, East, East Coast. Um, there's a lot of both escrow titles uh, or escrow attorney states, um, but they're predominantly attorney states on the East Coast. So does that make it more streamlined, Brian, do you think? Uh, I don't, not in my experience. I've done both. And it seems like six of one has yeah. half does the other. Yeah, okay. Me. Okay. Yeah. So, Danny, what's the most common questions you get from clients concerning escrow services? What's Where's the 
where where is the uh, where's the information lacking? Um, common questions. I think um, the most common question that I'm getting right now is, do I know about wire fraud? Because I think uh. there's so many um, articles out there mm. and even uh, news castings um, about the wire fraud that's happening in mm. America right now, mm-hmm. and. So there's a lot of people that are um, prompting me with those questions and really asking me, what are you doing to make sure that my money's protected? Mm-hmm. Um, and WFD has very strict policies in place to make sure that the customer and their funds are protected. And um, we have secure portals for wire instructions. We don't email wire instructions. Um, we can't take any uh, revised instructions over the phone or in an email or even in a text because we want to make sure that the the human that's providing us the information is the correct human that should be receiving the money um, and or sending the money. So we also have require uh, notarized signatures, for example, for disbursements mm-hmm. when we're dispersing proceeds to sellers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I just thought of something like a good idea is maybe having a secure portal where you right. log in. Right, just like you would log into a bank, so it's encrypted, and then you supply the wire information. Have you guys got anything like that? I'm, I'm sorry, I just put you on the spot, but I was like, hey, that's a really good idea because. Yeah, because no, it is a great idea. If not, we have implemented that. You have. <laughs> that's exactly um, what we're doing. Yeah, we I'm have so a portal. We have a couple different options. One is our My Home portal. Mm-hmm. Um, the way I describe it to uh, my new buyers and sellers is it's a pizza tracker for your real estate transaction. Pizza tracker literally. for your real estate. Nice. <laughs> yep. Like it gives you the step-by-step of what's happening and what's needed and where we're at. There's a um, high graph, essentially, with a percentage of completion for the transaction. Hmm. And um, buyers have access to the wire instructions there in our secure portal so that they can take those to their bank and um, issue the earnest money uh, wire or also funds to close. Hmm. So we had a personal experience with wire fraud. We use a form that's a wire fraud uh, um, alert. We have people sign. We have the conversation. We explain all these things to them. And and so it kind of made me wonder, well, how does this happen? Well, one of our clients, one of my broker's clients, a broker that works for me, in helping a buyer with a home sale, they got an email directing them to send their down payment, all their money, and it looked like it came from him, but it did not. It had been hacked. Mm. And so the uh, wife sends the money, calls the husband. She's excited. And the point is, in the excitement of the moment of buying the dream home, just forgot the conversation. And thank goodness we were able to get right on that, call the bank manager, and actually stop the wire. Wow. It took about two oh, weeks to get wow. the money back. That is but rare. Almost That's a, great news. <laughs> right. Almost 100000 that went wow. out in the excitement of the moment, even after having the conversation. So for Dan and I, one of the things we do is we we don't mean to be too repetitive, but we remind people about it. We have them sign Good. the disclosure up front. Yeah. We encourage you, know, encourage you guys to continue to have the conversation. People sometimes get a little lost in the process, and we view it as our job to guide them through. Yeah, I think the safest way is just take a suitcase full of $100,000 bills and just walk them over. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking, just joking. All right, well, it's so... it's interesting because most people don't know what title an escrow is, so right, you can explain right. something to them. But like you said, if they're caught up in the moment of being excited, something could overlook. Totally. So I mean, right. I'm glad you guys are repetitive about it. Yep, yep. absolutely. Yep. So with all of this, who pays for title and escrow? So um, in the purchase and sale contract, it's typically stated that the escrow fee is split in half between buyer and seller. 
the escrow fees based on the purchase price. And then um, title insurance, the seller traditionally pays for the owner's policy on behalf of the buyer. And then if there's a lender involved, the lender also requires a policy, and that's paid for by the buyer. Right. So one thing that is unique in in terms of the insurance industry about title insurance is it's a one-time upfront, one and done. And Mm -hmm. for the life of, you know, as long as you own the home, that insurance is there for you. So that's something that... uh, a lot of people aren't aware of. Yeah, and when you think about, um, and I, I mean, Brian and I both know contracts up one side and down the other, and we know it's spelled out specifically in there. However, if a buyer and a seller negotiate, they can, right? They can negotiate where a, a buyer can say, "Listen, I want the seller to pay my fees too," but it would have to be, it would have totally. to be yep. negotiable. Yeah, everything is negotiable. Yep, mm-hmm. I love that about real estate. Um, let's see. So, um, oh, I was going back to the pizza question. I wanted to know, would you guys deliver a pizza if we needed it? If it was on the portal, on the portal, (laughs) Danny, you said service was pretty awesome. So I'm not going to lie. We had, I will never forget this. I had a client one time and he was so patient, but his lender, um, there was a lot of hiccups on the day of closing and he was in our office. It was a very sensitive file and he, we were just trying to get it done. And he, was in our office for probably five hours and it was near the end of the month and we had um the company got us lunch and he was sitting in the signing room and we were just like hey do you want some pizza and some salad so (laughs) that's awesome good service (laughs) awesome you you can get pizza you just have to hang out with you guys for five hours yep exactly (laughs) (laughs) okay so what's a typical escrow process like what what's the general timeline General timeline, yeah, that's a really great question. Um, General timeline is, I would say it's based upon the buyer's lender, typically, Mm -hmm. and um, how quickly they can get their approval through underwriting, and then also just how quickly buyer and seller are moving on their form, since we unfortunately do not have uh, information like phone numbers, and then we need written authorization, social security numbers to order mortgage payoffs, HOA demands, etc. So, Typically, I would say it's about 25 days. Um, I have closed a transaction as quickly as four days. Wow. Um, That's with uh, Even with a resale certificate and a um, payoff on the seller side. So mm. wow. it, can be, it, it can be quick, but typically it's about 25 days. 25. Mm. Okay. So what happens day of closing? On the day okay. of, on the day of closing, um, if there's a lot of different scenarios there. Um, but we'll say on the day of funding and recording, um, if both buyer and seller have signed, we will, uh, as for company, take the signed loan documents, send them over to the buyer's lender so that they can review them. They make sure that all of their underwriting requirements are satisfied, cross the T's, dot the I's, and then they fund the file and release us for recording. We um, now are e-recording in Pierce the Homish and King County, so we really? don't have to physically walk the documents down to the county, which is saving us a lot of time. Wow. Um, and we can release our files up until about 3.30. So oh. even if we have a later release, we can still record same day. And we get recording numbers uh, by 5 p.m. at the latest, and all is dead in the world. Awesome. That's great. I was not aware of you recording. That's Me neither. Terrific. When did you guys start doing that? Um, let's see. They started in King County. Uh, Resale. So we've been e-recording for refinance transactions, so just the deed of trust, for uh, quite a few years um, for e-recording excise. So on a resale transaction, I would say two and a half years. 
I think. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we missed wow. that one. So we've got time for just two quick questions. The first one I'm going to send to Amanda. Um, yeah. What makes WFG different from others in the industry? Well, besides uh, Danny and I not being there, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Good I answer. think, uh, yeah, I think the biggest difference is really just the fact that we are trying to be trying to be as transparent as possible with your clients, the consumers. Again, it kind of goes back to a lot of times buyer and sellers aren't really unsure of what happens once it gets in escrow. I kind of feel like it's this. 30 days of darkness, typically, and mm-hmm. they start to get anxious. So what we've done is we've taken upon on ourselves. Danny mentioned um, our My Home dashboard. It really allows them, in real time, the ability to track their transactions. So they are seeing things progress. The anxiety is not as high. We give them um, um, access to their documents that they'd like. We make it very easy for them to, um, to get a hold of us. And then we also help kind of streamline the post-closing moving process by partnering with some companies that um, uh, will give clients uh, an update of who their utility providers are so they can get them transferred and connected. Um, They can also help assist with getting their change of address taken care of. So we really try to think about all aspects of the transaction, even post-closing, because we know that if a client's happy, it's only going to reflect well on our brokers. Awesome. Awesome. So how do our listeners get a hold of you? How do they get a hold of us? Yeah. Um, probably the easiest way would be just to um, call our front office and ask for either one of us. Um, Danny and I, like, like we had mentioned earlier, always kind of working, so we're always available, whether it be um, our main office line or just via email or um, cell phone, for that matter. We, what, what's we that number? Be, my cell phone number is 425-417-6406. And the office number? Four two five four five three eight 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 zero. Amanda, Danny, thank you so much for joining us today. After the break, we have in studio Douglas Schwed, managing attorney of Access Law Northwest. We'll be discussing what to do before signing a contract with a contractor. We'll be right back. Not sure if now is the right time to sell? Worried you missed the market? The Eastside Real Estate Team specializes in helping homeowners maximize their equity when selling. With our proven premier listing service, our clients have sold their homes for more money in less time than the competition. We know you have many choices when working with a real estate agent, but with the Eastside Real Estate Team, you get a team of highly qualified, experienced agents. From staging to deciding if your property is market ready for top dollar, if you're considering selling, call the Eastside Real Estate Team at 425 425- 200-4093 or check out our website at the eastsiderealestateteam.com a subsidiary of Keller Williams Realty in Bellevue Are you ready to select a residential contractor for your remodel project or custom construction? Have you been presented with a contract to review and sign? Well, before you go any further and before you sign anything, contact Douglas Schwed at Access Law NW for an expert contract review and a contractor due diligence investigation. We highly recommend that before you sign any major home improvement, remodel, or custom construction contract that you consult with a qualified real estate contractor attorney. 
Mr. Schwed has developed a proprietary 10-step builder due diligence investigation algorithm, which fully and completely documents any contractor's operating and legal compliance history, including litigation checks, including civil and criminal background, bankruptcy filings, licensing compliance, insurance and bonding compliance, and other relevant business details. From that investigation, a written report is provided highlighting all areas of concern so the client can make a fully informed, unemotional business decision before the sign and before performance problems and disputes arise. Go to accesslawnw.com to contact us or to get more information. That's accesslawnw.com. Seattle, Tacoma, Antwerp? That's right. We're streamed worldwide on our app and on the web at 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Real Talk with Brian and Dan on 1150 KKNW. I'm Brian. And I'm Dan. Our next guest is Douglas Schwed with Access Law Northwest, PLCC. Doug has been practicing law in Washington since 1981. For nearly 40 years, he's been servicing the real estate and business legal needs of his Puget Sound clients. Doug's practice specializes in contracts, real estate and business law, fraudulent conveyances, and legal investigations. Doug, tell us a bit about yourself. Well, thanks, Dan. Um, as I said, I'm a, a practicing attorney for nearly 40 years, and I've done all kinds of different things. Uh, but primarily, I focus on uh, dealing with, at this point, dealing with consumers, uh, uh, dealing with uh, contracts uh, and business opportunities that uh, might present itself. And I have a, a, a new a new area that I'm focusing on, and that's uh, fraudulent investigations and real estate due diligence. What do you do when you're not working? What are your hobbies and interests? Um, I like to uh, build furniture, believe it or not. And uh, I have a pretty extensive wood shop. My son's a contractor, and we work together on some, some, some different things. And it's, uh, it's been really rewarding. I've got all my fingers. <laughs> <laughs> that's not very common for woodworkers, is it? No, it can be. You've got to keep your eye on the ball, that's for Absolutely, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So where do you get your wood? Um, I get it different places. Second use, I get some yeah. stuff downtown. I, I know a couple of... A couple of uh, uh, guys that when they're tearing down, you know, clearing yeah. lots, I can get some bigger pieces. And uh, we've I've got a, a sawmill. It's called Four Finger Mill. And, uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'll be up to see it soon. <laughs> no, but we we get some pretty interesting stuff out of there. Yeah, a lot of uh, urban lump, urban uh, timber. And I'm trying to so. just you know work a little more wood and metal together, which I oh, think is an exciting media. Yeah. So, mm. yeah. Um, so this is a, a show about real estate, and uh, you know, even though you know. This is uh, going to be talking about you and your law stuff. Go back to your childhood. Doug's a young, young guy here. So <laughs> what, what's some fond uh, memories you have of the home you grew up in? Well, I grew up in uh, kind of rural Colorado, and we, um, our family had mine, mines, and uh, they had cattle ranches. So I was always you know, running around, playing in the mines, and lots of snow, and skiing. And you know, we had a nice, uh, a big place, and uh, five acres, and... Yeah, we had an outdoor skating rink and that kind of stuff. Oh, wow. So it was, yeah, it was a very outdoorsy kind of a situation. Yeah, lots of animals, horses, dogs. Yeah. All right. So getting into the business of uh, of legal disputes, what's the number one area of the disputes you've encountered? Well, I think now that what I'm seeing, Dan, is because of the rising housing prices and mm-hmm. the values that people are staying in their homes longer, mm-hmm. and therefore they're remodeling their homes rather than selling and buying a new one. 
And uh, I'm seeing a lot of uh, issues with contracts and homeowner with uh, remodel contractors, frankly. Hmm. Yeah. You know, interesting. the interesting thing, I wish I had the statistic, but um, I believe that there were some record numbers over the last year mm-hmm. of people pouring into remodeling. I, I, yeah. I, I just, I, I, I remember that. Yeah. So what can a consumer do to help prevent issues with residential contractors? Well, the one thing they can do, and it's a free thing, is they just check them out. Get some references, ask for references, and check those references. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's looking on the Internet. You know, people are, it's pretty transparent now. And you can, if you do some due diligence, you can find out, uh, you know, exactly what kind of work they've done, if the customers have been satisfied, what their areas of expertise are, and, and also if there's been some disappointment along the way. Right. I think you can uh, look up their business license pretty easily, right? Their contractor's license. Contractors. Yeah, L&I. Con- yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, if, they've, if they've got an uh, active license and bond. Yeah, right. that brings me to my question. What are the requirements to become a residential contractor in Washington State? Well, surprisingly, the thing that shocks a lot of people is that there's no requirement for any experience. You're really? kidding. No. <laughs> you have to have experience and pass a test to be an electrical contractor and a plumbing contractor. However... To be a general contractor, all you need to do is have a business license, post a uh, $250,000 um, insurance policy for general liability, and have a $12,000 uh, bond. Well, and I think it's important to, to explain that a general contractor isn't always doing the work. They're maybe just They're coordinating managing the, work, the job. Right? And it's similar for subs, Dan. Uh, like I said, the two exceptions that do require some some uh, tenure and experience are the plumbing and electric, electric trades, but um, most of the subcontractors, uh, if they are licensed, the only requirement they have is a $6,000 bond. So along that line would be drywall, painting, uh, floor refinishing, uh, windows, that kind of thing? Correct. None of them have to prove any ability or skill before getting a contractor's license. Yeah, that's correct. I just had a case I just finished up settling, and it uh, turned out that the uh, contractor was using day laborers from, he found up at Home Depot to do oh, some yeah. of the work. I mean, yeah. it was just, it was egregious. So so by the time you get involved, that transaction's gone south. What are the most common things you're seeing? What are the problems that are arising? Well, I think there's two sets of problems. One set is the contract itself. And uh, I can touch on some of the things that we find that are missing. And, and I guess I want to emphasize one thing um, to do initially is if about the, when you get to ready to enter into one of these contracts, have a qualified lawyer look at this deal because we're finding uh, there's uh, job descriptions are incomplete. There's no performance payment ties. Um, there's uh, oftentimes no uh, understanding about who's pulling the permits on the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no penalties for miscompletion dates. Um, I think the interesting part about that is when everything's hunky dory, when you're happy and you've got them coming over and doing it, that's, you know, nobody thinks about the details that could go wrong. It's when things go wrong that you're like, well, what, what did we agree upon? That's correct. And so, you know, if we get into that situation and the contract doesn't have some of these key provisions, like an attorney's fees clause, for instance, the state of Washington, you can only have obtain attorney's fees in litigation if it's either provided for by contract or by statute. So um, that being said, the contracts are very important to have a, it's important in the contract rather to have a attorney's fees provision, which incentivizes an attorney to go after a contractor. Hmm. Um, we also, um, the other big problem we see are uh, change orders and, 
having a clear definition of what is a change order, having mutual acceptance on a change order, um, and just a detailed bid that outlines all the costs, including specifications, manufacturer specifications, and making it clear exactly what the customer wants to have installed in their house. Hmm. So, Doug, if if somebody was to say, hey, listen, um, I want to hire these people. They, they're not giving me a contract. Can they just draft one themselves and template like a standardized kind of thing? That's a good question, too. Um, 75% of the contracts I see never include a provision that's, that ties the payment to completion, for example. Uh-huh. Um, 50% of those don't include any termination clause if the, if the builder th- doesn't perform. Yeah. Uh, and 25% of the contractors out there don't use written contracts, which in the state of Washington really creates a problem because those are basically unenforceable. So that, mm. that means that the, the, the recipient of the work could basically, it, it's not enforced if they tried to collect on it or place a lien on the property? Correct. Is there a statute provision for attorney's fees in Washington? I'm sorry? A statute provision for attorney's fees. There's no statutory provision. So it's got to be in the contract. It's got to be in the contract, okay. correct. Wow. Now, there would be, in the case if you can prove a consumer protection violation, which is a, a pattern of behavior, in other words, the contractor is so egregious that he's done it to other people, you, you could... You could possibly dovetail a, you know, an hmm. attorney's fees claim under that provision, but that's that's a difficult argument to make sometimes. Well, occasionally I run into mechanics liens on properties from previous work. You get involved in in that, and and if you I tell sure, us a bit about liens, please. sure, I sure do, Dan. Um, or uh, Don, uh, Don, Dan, Brian. Brian, I'm Brian. I'm, I'm Dan. <laughs> I'm Doug. It's okay. <laughs> We're all good. Um, Liens are a statutory way. They're, they're provided by statute. They're very specific. Um, one of the things that you, that consumer needs to know, in order for a contractor to even file a lien, has to be licensed. So if you're not licensed, you don't file a lien. Can't, perfor- can't perfect your interest that way. Um, and the liens have to be filed within 90 days of the succession of work or delivery of materials to the site. So it's important to know when there's a dispute going on, when was the last time materials were delivered or the or the builder was at the site and they have to file that lien within that statutory period of time and they also have to file a litigation after that within nine months of the time they file their lien so because residential contracts are not uniform what in your experience are some of the important provisions you find uh, to be deficient or missing entirely those would include such things as uh, like I mentioned earlier uh, a termination clause. Uh, it's very important that the that the um, contract spell out the reasons why the homeowner or the contractor can leave the terminate the deal. Um, back to liens for a second. The the contract should also provide and require and state law requires that the that the consumer be given a notice of notice of consumer rights related to liens, which mm. under, which explains to the consumer the homeowner, uh, what in fact a lien is. It can be attached to your home. You can actually get foreclosed out on your property. And that's something that the consumer needs to sign and the builder needs to keep in his office the hard copy for one year. So there's no debate about that. And if, and if, that, and if in fact that is not done, then uh, the lien rights could be voided. Right. Hmm. Um, I talked about a little bit about the... Uh, um, one other area we see that, that needs uh, addressing often in a complex deal would be what happens if, 
there's a mechanism for the architect and the and the uh, builder to resolve things. In other words, if the if the architect architectural plans show it one way and the builder determines it can't be built that way, how is that problem resolved? And, and who's responsible for it? Right. And yeah. how, and how yeah. uh, who's got the authority to say what and do what? So those on bigger deals, that's important. If there's um, uh, we talked about the attorney fees clause. We've talked about uh, um, uh, the cost, uh, you know, detailed costs and a budget and a, and a clean bid. So just to just to recap, when it comes to getting work done in your house, if you hire somebody to come out to do it and you have a verbal contract and there's none of these things outlined, then really the, the contractor's kind of putting themselves in a bad spot more than the consumer. Hmm. Well, I think it's equally bad for both. Yeah. yeah. And I think um, the, the builder certainly has put himself at risk because he's got no no mechanism to enforce payment if, right. if he doesn't get paid along the way. Right. And similarly, the, uh, the consumer uh, has no recourse against the builder for uh, poor, shoddy work. Right. And Brian, you and I both know in this business right now, not only um, just doing remodels to your house, but getting a home ready to, for sale, right? right? right. Um, um, tradesmen, mm-hmm. are, men and women, tradesmen and women, are hard to come by to show up, uh, right. do a timely delivery of work. And so corners could be cut. And mm-hmm. that, that liability falls to the seller if something comes up during that transfer, right? Right. Um, so I would say it would be really awesome, Doug, that if you can um, somehow provide that template, because I will say this as somebody who has experienced this in the short term, is I don't have any mechanism to hand a contractor say, hey, let's outline this that has all these provisions. Let's fill in the scope of work, and we both agree to it. That yeah. that would uh, that would alleviate liability if you did that in advance, and then you can move forward rather than relying on a contractor who may not realize that they're leaving themselves open. Uh, they're just trying to you know do their work. Because typically most, yeah, I don't know. I'm using a very broad brush when I say that, but many are just working. They're just out there right. doing things. They're not thinking business minded and um, you know ha- attorney minded. So that goes to my next question, which is how do people actually implement your service? You know, to uh, do the review. Um, I mean, at what point should they reach out to you? They should read out, reach out, um, Brian. When at the time they've decided or what they think they've made a decision on the contractor but before they've signed any agreement. Mm-hmm. So when they've been pre- presented a, um, uh, a bid and a contract from the builder, that's the time to get in touch with us. And we'll go through it. We'll review it. We'll also do a 10-step due diligence review of that builder, which includes um, a litigation review, does all the due diligence for the state and mm-hmm. uh, records and insurance and compliance and so forth. But it goes deeper. We look at um, past litigation, uh, they might be involved in any any um, complaints that have gone to litigation, uh, bankruptcies, liens, judgments, foreclosures that may be you know affecting the uh, the viability of that business. Now, how much does it cost to to review and due diligence? How much does that cost? Our ten point due diligence, which gives you a written report, is two hundred and fifty dollars. Wow, it seems mm. like it would save a that lot of money. Seems like a bargain. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a bargain. It's a uh, you know two or three day turnaround. So at the point where the uh, consumer gets the contract, like I said, from the builder, then it, that's the time to shoot it to me and I'll mm. take a look at it. And Doug, uh, if if uh, an individual has maybe a handful of contractors they're working with, like 
um, let's say they're looking for a specific job, so they've got three people that, that they've bid, would you bundle that together in one, or is it 250 for each one? Well, we could look at, uh, if they've been presented three contracts, and that, that would be three contract reviews, and yep. then it would be three due diligence reviews as well. So typically they'd choose one and submit that to you. For, right, that's typically yeah, what they've yeah. done. You know, they feel they, they can yeah. work with this guy and, uh, and, and that, at that point. Wow, but do it before you sign. Yeah. Yeah. This Definitely. stuff's good to know. Yeah. How do our listeners reach you? Um, the easiest way is either uh, call the office, 425-495-1277. We're here in Bellevue, or uh, shoot me an email. What's your email address? It's Doug, D-O-U-G, at accesslawnw.com. Sounds awesome. good. Doug, thank you so much for coming in today. You're listening to Real Talk with Brian and Dan at 1150 KKNW. After the break, we have some more Real Talk and, of course, some great final thoughts. We'll be right back. Did you know when you pay rent, you're actually paying someone else's mortgage? Are you tired of missing out on owning your own home? Fact. Homeowners on average have 40 times the financial net worth of renters. The Eastside Real Estate Team has been helping many first-time homebuyers find and buy their first home. They specialize in customer service and put you first. They listen first to what you're looking for and then they take the time to make sure their clients understand every aspect of the home buying process. If owning a home has been your dream, the Eastside Real Estate Team can help you. For a free, no-hassle consultation, call 425-200-4093 or find them online at the Eastside Real Estate Team a subsidiary of Keller Williams Realty in Bellevue. Are you ready to select a residential contractor for your remodel project or custom construction? Have you been presented with a contract to review and sign? Well, before you go any further and before you sign anything, contact Douglas Schwed at Access Law NW for an expert contract review and a contractor due diligence investigation. We highly recommend that before you sign any major home improvement, remodel, or custom construction contract that you consult with a qualified real estate contractor attorney. Mr. Schwed has developed a proprietary 10-step builder due diligence investigation algorithm, which fully and completely documents any contractor's operating and legal compliance history, including litigation checks, including civil and criminal background, bankruptcy filings, licensing compliance, insurance and bonding compliance, and other relevant business details. From that investigation, a written report is provided highlighting all areas of concern so the client can make a fully informed, unemotional business decision before the sign and before performance problems and disputes arise. Go to accesslawnw.com to contact us or to get more information. That's accesslawnw.com. Wondering what's on next on Alternative Talk 1150? Check out 1150kknw.com. Welcome back to Real Talk with Brian and Dan. I am Dan. I'm Brian. And man, what a great informative show today. Yep. I mean, we learned a lot of good stuff about contracts. And, you know, I guess being a real estate agent, I kind of like that. I like like protecting our clients and their investment. Right. right. So I have a final thought. Um, and this is along the lines of liability. I won't go into too much detail, but marketing remarks. So when you are out there and you're uh, marketing a property, real estate agents are advertisers. And it's our goal to provide pr- present a property in its best light. 
So, AKA, how many times, listeners, have you shown up at a house when you expected it to be gigantic, only to find out that it was a fisheye lens that they used to take a picture of the living room, right? So, marketing remarks can be troublesome. Uh, We've had an issue where, uh, based on how a property was described, a uh, government organization wanted to levy a connection charge for a ADU. So, accessory dwelling unit. Yeah. So that <laughs> that was my mistake because on title specifically this thing was built as a exercise room, like a yoga room and and that that is essentially you That's walk out to it there's two yeah. things in there. Um but we like to sell things, right? As you know, maybe somebody, you know, mother-in-law you don't like so much could sleep out there or she could stay in your guest room in the house. So I think it's important, Brian, for buyers to understand that these are marketing remarks and there's a certain amount of... Well, there's a difference between a misstatement of fact and a, you know, and puffing. Best home, right? you know, best home in Bellevue versus X number of square feet. And one's a statement of fact and one is, you know, selling the sizzle. Yeah. But but it's important for a buyer to do their due diligence. Yep. So... So one other quick thought, actually a brief story. Last week we touched on multiple offer situations, fight or flight, the two yeah. reactions I see from a buyer. And it's about a 50-50. Mm-hmm. And, but one of the lessons I've learned is I always coach my buyers, if we find a house you like, make the offer. Right. It's, it's If you love the house, make the offer. The worst thing that can happen is you don't get it. I had a, a client this week. We walked into the perfect house, an absolute cream puff. And their first reaction is, oh, we'll never stand a chance. And, of course, I counseled them, you like the house. Let's the, let's write the offer. A little work on my part, but let me let me just carry the load here, get this done. We got it. We're the only offer. Yeah, and, I, I and think, see that's the thing. If they ran away, they don't get the house. They don't. Yeah, you can't you can't hit the ball if they don't swing. You that's know, right. they don't get up to that. What if you don't play? Yeah, and that's really I think part of it is let us do the heavy lifting, and if, if we get in there, um, everybody automatically thinks that if there's high interest, that there will be a bidding war. That's right. not always the case right. now. The market's leveled out some. Yep. It's still a, a you know a great market for sellers and a great market with buyers, especially with rates where they are. Oh but you goodness. can't win if you don't play. Can't so, win if you don't play the game. That's right. Well, we're just about done. But before we go, I've got a fun event this weekend in Seattle. If you like, um, if you like uh, dragon coladas, pina coladas. <laughs> Yeah, you're getting caught in the rain. Um, oh, yeah, I was supposed to mention my daughter, Kaylin. So if you do uh, end up listening up. to this, this is the very end. She uh, just graduated from high school. So hooray. And her 18th birthday was last week. So, yeah, there. Shout out to There's Kaylin. my shout out. And then uh, Dragon Festival is this weekend. What day is the, that? That's in, in the International District. So Dragon Fest this year is a focus on the community and small business in Chinatown slash International District. This year's Dragon Fest will be one day only. You can find amazing food, craft booths, craft booths, activities for kids, live entertainment, and the food walk, $3 food walk. So Saturday from 11 to 7 p.m. in the International District, I, I think it'd be fun. Maybe you'll see a dragon or two. Sounds fun. Well, right. thank, thank you so much for listening. Until I'm Dan. Next, I'm Brian. Until next week. See you later. 